Here's a prayer you may have heard, somewhat humorous. Dear Lord, so far, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped and I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent, and I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot of help. And so often that's us, right? Lord, it's going to be a good day. The old is gone. We slept it off. Your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for that. There's a lot of potential possibilities. You're going to be here today. That's great. But Lord, when I get up, I'm going to need a lot of help. So, heard the guy talking about if he had a car that needed a new engine, what he would do with it makes sense. He said if it was headed for the graveyard and all it needed was this new engine, he said I'd probably take it, pay the mechanic, get the new engine, take it home, test drive it, make sure everything performed as it should. But if after a couple of days of driving it, it performed like it did before I brought it in for the new engine, I would probably take it back and say to the mechanic, did you actually give me a new engine or did you just try to overhaul the old one? Because the new engine ought to perform in new ways with horsepower and responsiveness and it shouldn't sputter and die and smoke out the back. I was driving up a hill one time and so much smoke was pouring out of the back of my car that the police officer pulled up next to me at the next light, rolled down his window and said, son, you need to get that fixed if you're going to drive that on the road. Whew, didn't get a ticket that day, but I got a warning. Sometimes your car needs a new engine, not just a tune-up, not just taking it and getting an overhaul. You need the whole new engine, and the reality is that as human beings, there comes a place in time where we recognize we need a new heart. A new heart, not the old one just kind of tweaked, not just some good new habits in our life, but a brand new heart. And if we're walking along in this new life with our, I'm putting in parentheses, or in quotations, with our new heart, and everything's the same as the old, we might need to get on our knees and start talking to the Lord about whether or not we actually let him give us a brand new heart or whether we're just trying to work it of our own strength work it of our own discipline or religion, because with a new heart, with a new engine, there's new life. And new ways of living and new ways of being. So, a couple of weeks ago we started this series. We talked about the problem of sin. We talked about the fact that sin and happiness are directly related to each other. Maybe more specifically or more exactly sin and unhappiness are directly related to each other because we find ourselves in a place of unhappiness and misery when we sin. We don't like to sin. We don't like to talk about sin. Uh, Sometimes we like to just, well, you know, dabble in it a little here and there. I was reminded as I went to the juvenile detention center this week of another young man that I went and visited about 12 years ago, in juvenile detention center, for choices in his life, and as we would talk week after week, finally he said, you know, I think I might be interested in becoming a Christian. And I'd asked him if he would, and I gave him a Bible, and we were doing actually one of those Bible studies that I showed you this morning together, 
said, I think I might become a Christian. So we prayed. And he accepted the Lord, and he prayed the sinner's prayer. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I know you died on the cross for me. I want to live my life for you. Now lead, lead me, and I'll follow. And he prayed that prayer. And I asked him later, I said, Austin, what changed? You know, why, why did you decide this? He said, because it used to be that I thought that Christians couldn't have fun. It was boring. It was stifling. He was like... I just didn't think Christians could have any fun. Now I realize that Christians can have fun and not feel guilty afterwards. Because his life, he thought that as long as he was sinning, that was fun. But then he began to realize that that sin came to a place of unhappiness, unfulfillment, guilt, and shame. And when he realized he could have fun in Christ and not feel guilty afterwards because there is a happiness that comes from the Lord according to his holiness... Right? And so we talked about two weeks ago the problem of sin and that every one of us needs to get this sin issue dealt with. And that sometimes it's not only the things that we don't do, but it's also about having holy love inside of us. Right? Because the opposite of sin is holy love. So sometimes when we talk about sin, we just want to make a bunch of lists. We don't do this, and we don't do that, and we don't do this. But really, to get rid of sin is to receive God's holy love that pushes, is, pushes it out. Right? <clears throat> I've seen some really neat illustrations to that end where they've got a pitcher and it's full of some kind of gunk, you know, grimy, nasty, and they take the, the water, it looks like water, and they pour it in. And as they pour it in, all that nasty gunk and everything just kind of comes out of the top of the pitcher and flows out until the only thing that remains is that crystal clear liquid. It looks like water, just pure through there. And that was that symbolism of getting rid of the sin and replacing it with holy love. Well then, last week we talked about grace. And the fact that there is grace that's greater than everything in our lives. So there's grace greater than our mistakes. Thank God for that. There's grace greater than our sins. Praise the Lord for that. Because our sins are deserving of death and judgment. But there's grace bigger, greater, stronger than that. Uh, you know there's grace that's greater than your memory. Praise the Lord for that as well. I have gone through life so many times feeling so much weight of guilt on my shoulders because I forgot something that I shouldn't have forgotten. And I knew that God's grace could forgive me of sins, but I didn't even realize that God's grace was sufficient to cover even my bad memory. You know, like you say, I'm going to call that person. I'm going to tell them how much they mean to me. And you forget. And then you start beating yourself up later. I should have called them. What was I thinking? There's grace that's greater than your memory, right? And your mistakes, and your failures, your choices. And we talked about woulda, shoulda, coulda. Have you ever looked back on your life and said, man, if I'd have taken that job, or I'd have gone to that college, or I, I pray you never say this, I should have married that person. You know, I woulda, shoulda, coulda. My life would have been different. Guess what? There's grace that's greater than all of the woulda, shoulda, couldas of your life where you don't have to go back and try to fix the past. You can't do it anyway. Instead, you can give the past to the Lord and let him redeem it and use it and know there's grace greater than that. Today, we're going to talk about repentance. Turning around so we can get a whole new engine, a whole new heart, and strength for the day so that when we get up, we have strength to make the right choices. We've got just four points today defining a, um, what God does for us through faith, and then what we don't do and what we should do, and how Christianity without repentance is actually dead. Kind of a harsh concept, but it's, but it's really true. 
So here's what I want to say about repentance, and then we're going to look to the scriptures. In 1981, this is a true story. In 1981, a Minnesota radio station reported a story about a star, uh, about a stolen car. And so they're reporting on the radio this car had been stolen, and they were desperately trying to reach the occupant of the stolen vehicle. They weren't trying to reach them to arrest them. I'm sure that that would come later on. Instead, what had been discovered was on the front seat of that car, the owner had gotten these crackers, and they were laced with poison because they were going to distribute them around their house to kill the rats. I don't know what kind of crackers they were, but they were the kind that you would assume, looking at them, hey, there's something to eat. And someone stole the car with the crackers on the front seat, laced with the poison, and the radio stations are desperately broadcasting in 1981, if you stole this vehicle, you need to not eat the crackers. They're trying to get a hold of them in order to deliver them from something harmful, something fatal even. So often we think about the word repentance and we think, oh boy, I'm in for a lecture. I'm going to the principal's office. I've blown it for sure and now the punishment. But what if we didn't look at it as much as God getting a hold of us to punish us as God getting a hold of us to deliver us? Because God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to everlasting life. Dear Jesus, I pray that today you'd help us to understand repentance, that repentance, Lord, is this beautiful gift from you to turn around and get a new engine and a new life in Christ. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to understand this and receive it, Lord, as a gift from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> the first part of the message here today is that we have to believe and obey all that God has said in order to receive and walk in all that he has promised. My guess is, <clears throat> if you're at church this morning, at least one reason you're here is because you know that God promised love and joy and peace and eternal life to his children. And one, at least one of the reasons you're here is because you want one of those things. I pray all of them, right? I want the love of the Lord filling me up. I want the joy of the Lord in the face of a fallen world. I want the peace of God in the midst of all my chaos. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die here. So I'm in church because if I need to be in church to learn about that, that's what I'm going to do, right? But here's the thing. <clears throat> We have to believe and obey all that he has said if we want to receive those things that he's promised. If we don't believe that his promises are true, what good is it for us to show up to church and say, hey, I'd like some peace or love, if you don't believe he actually can give you peace and love. And so we have to understand that whatever God promises, he makes true by his character and by his gifts that are given, and he makes it come to pass. Whatever he calls us to, he makes it possible. Luke 1.45, beautiful scripture, right there at the beginning of the gospel, and it talks about the fact that blessed is she, we could also say he, but it was in this context talking about one who had been foretold of a pregnancy that was coming, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. You want to be blessed, believe that what God has said to you is going to come to pass. If you want to be blessed, in one concept, one part of an understanding of blessing is happiness. If you want to be happy in life, if you want to have blessings in life, believe that what God has said is true. 
I know that if I start not believing what God has said, I have a whole lot of misery in my life. The devil loves to come to you and tell you all the things that God has said, and he, he's, he's kind of a, a tired old liar. Because remember the first lie that he ever said? Did God really say that you can't eat of that tree? Did God really say? And that's exactly what the devil comes to us and says. Did God really say that he loves you? I mean, he loves everybody else, but you? Did God really say that you shouldn't do that? I think if you did that, you'd actually feel pretty good. He's saying the same old tired lie that he ever has in order to get us to disbelieve God because in Hebrews 4.2, it tells us about the fact that the Israelites, they heard the same message that you and I've heard. They heard the same message of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They heard the same message, but it didn't help them because they didn't combine it with faith. In other words, if you want those promises that we already talked about, love, joy, peace, eternal life, you've got to believe that what God has said is true, and you can't believe only part of what he said. Like, I think I'll believe the love and joy parts, but I won't believe the sin parts. I'll believe the hope and goodness parts, but I don't want to believe the parts about God's anger, because that's, I don't like that. You've got to believe it all. You can't pick and choose, because he speaks truth, and his truth is to set us free. John 1.12 talks about believing, okay? To all those who believe him, to all those who receive him, he'll give you the right to become a child of God. So repentance, where does this come in? It's all about saying, I believe what you said, God, instead of what I've always thought. There's a town in Labrador, Canada, way up there in the middle of nowhere. The only way to get there is on mooseback or a helicopter until recently, and uh, now they've put in a road, one single road. And if you look on your phone and you think Canada's a long way off, just wait till you plug in Navigate to Labrador. I tried to do that one time because I thought it'd be fun to take my wife over there and we'd drive. From here, it's like four days of driving, you know, 12 hours a day to get all the way to the edge of Labrador there in Newfoundland. And this one little town has one road in and one road out. Here's the thing about following Christ and getting away from our sin. There's only one road out of sin. And the one road out of sin is Jesus Christ. And the truth that he has proclaimed and the perfect life that he has lived and the death that he died is the only road out of sin. If you look on YouTube, if you see the man on the street videos that they might, interviews they might do, people think there's all kinds of ways to get out of uh, situations and go to heaven or nirvana or a higher level of existence. But it's not true. And they can swear by it, and they can build their life upon it, but only the truth will set you free, Scripture says. Jesus is the only road that leads out of sin, and the way we have to do that is we've got to turn around. So repentance, the word repent means turn around. So we're going this way, towards sin, towards selfishness, towards the world, towards the enemy, towards darkness, and God says repent and turn around and believe what I've said. It kind of ask, causes me to ask some questions when I realize that Jesus' first words of preaching were repent and believe that the kingdom of heaven is at hand instead of Jesus' first words being, God loves you. Hmm. 
I've asked that question of the scriptures and in prayer of the Lord. Lord, why did you, why did Jesus say repent and believe first? Now, part of it's because he was speaking to the Israelite people who they knew that God was a God of love. That was just defined in their scriptures through and through that his faithful love endures forever. If you look in the end of Psalms, I can't remember, I think Psalm 136 maybe, it says his faithful love endures forever like 25 times in a row. His faithful love endures forever. So they knew that, but even so, there's, there's some reason why Jesus said to us, repent, turn around, and believe what God has said, because if we don't believe what God has said about sin, why should we believe what God has said about love? If we don't believe what God has said about judgment, why would we believe what God has said about blessing? Believe everything God has said, which means turn away from everything you previously thought, and now receive everything that God has for you. So I want to give you the things that we're supposed to stop doing when we repent and believe. But before I give those to you, I want to be very careful. If I give you a list of things that you're supposed to stop doing and another list of things you're supposed to start doing, you might actually think that by stopping certain things and doing other things that that's going to make you a good person or that's going to save you. Oswald Chambers gives us a really good understanding of this from the scriptures, of course, but he says, it is not my repentance that saves me. Repentance is the sign that I realize what God has done in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one way out of sin. The danger is for me to put the emphasis on my repentance as what saves me. No, my obedience doesn't put me right with God. My believing him and believing that what he has done is sufficient, that's what saves me. When I turn to God and by belief accept what God reveals, Oswald Chambers says, he instantly, instantly, this stupendous, amazing atonement of Jesus Christ rushes into me, and I'm in a right relationship with God, and by the miracle of God's grace, I stand justified, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So when I say repent, and believe, it's exactly what Jesus said, but repenting first is a change of mind. I change my mind. I change my, my, my beliefs about who God is and what he said. So first, I believe and I change my mind, and then God empowers you to change your behavior and start walking in this right direction. So now you're not doing the old things. First repentance is, thank you, Lord, for saving me by nothing I've ever done, but by the grace of Jesus alone. And then to continue walking in that is what God empowers us to do. So stop doing these things. Do you remember when Jesus healed the man by the pool and he said that he wanted to be healed? Jesus says, what is it you want? And he says, I want to be healed. But every time I try to get into the pool when it's stirred and they, they had these miraculous healings, somebody else gets there before me because I'm paralyzed. I can't get down there. And so Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And it's because Jesus was really trying to get to the heart of the matter because the man was, yes, paralyzed, but he was living in bitterness and, and sin. We know he was living in sin because of the rest of the story. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want, I want to be healed. So Jesus says, okay. And he heals him. The next day, Jesus finds him and he says, now stop sinning so that nothing worse will happen to you. Right? So the man came to a place where he believed that Jesus could heal him. He, he turned away from his old self, I believe. But then Jesus found him and said, now that you've turned away, I want you to walk in this proper direction by not sinning anymore but by following me. So, 
I want to give you an example. Colossians 3, if you want to flip there, we're going to read Colossians 3 and, and Galatians 5. And uh, these are great ones for us to underline and, and, and memorize and, and, and just put into practice in our lives. Colossians 3, 5 through 9. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. In those things you once walked when you were living in sin, living in those things, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Now that's a big long list. You recognize that's New Testament? Usually we think of a list of what you should do and shouldn't do as being Old Testament. Ten Commandments, all the law, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is New Testament that we still have things we're supposed to not do. You recognize, if you look on social media, or for that matter, mainstream media, we live in a culture of lying, of self-promotion, you know, fake news, uh, popularity contests, keeping up with the Joneses, making sure our appearances look so, so and so and such and such. I mean, have you seen this where people are, are putting tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on credit cards in order that they can put on Instagram that they live certain life? It's all fake. They're just trying to make their life look good for the camera to put out on social media. We live in an age of lying and deceit and of, of hypocrisy. We live in an age where we do whatever pleases us and whatever makes us happy and whatever looks good in our eyes. And Scripture says, stop doing those things, repent and believe what Jesus has said, turn away from those things and cease doing them. We were talking about this on Wednesday night. And it was a little bit heavy for us to talk about. But do you know the two angriest groups of people that I've known over the last 10 years are my white Republican friends on Facebook and my friends who are in their 20s and 30s who are liberal and maybe of other ethnicities, or maybe they're not, maybe they're white as well, and they are so angry about their political cause that you cannot even have a civilized conversation between those two groups because, after all, I'm this and you're that and you're this and I'm that and we're at odds with one another. But isn't it interesting? By this, you will know, they will know, that you are my disciples. He doesn't say, by your political affiliation... Will they know that you are my disciples? He doesn't say, by your denomination, will they know that you're my disciples? He says, by your love, will, you, will they know that you are my disciples? And so when we talk about stop doing these things, we've got to stop doing the things that are against God's nature of holy love. We've got to stop doing those things that promote self, the things that are part of the old way of living, the sinful way, the dark and worldly way, and we've got to live a new life. In Christ Jesus. And I told you about the young man one time who his, his favorite thing was to draw guns. And he got saved and he started feeling guilty. He wasn't just drawing guns because he liked to go hunting. He liked to draw guns because he's thinking about mass murder and, and these single shooter games where you go out and kill everybody and everything in sight. And he got saved. He accepted Jesus and he was still drawing his, his guns. 
And he went to his youth pastor. He's like, how come I feel bad about drawing these guns? He says, because you're a new person in Christ Jesus. Something's changed. You don't want to glorify death. You don't want to glorify murder and mass mayhem. God's changed you, and you're a new person. All right, so we've got to stop doing certain things. Galatians 5. I'm going to read this one to you as well. <clears throat> Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what it's saying. If you're over here and you say, God, I repent and I believe, I turn around and I'm going to follow you, Jesus, all the way. I'm going to do whatever you say and I'm going to stop doing the old things. Well, except gossip. Because you know how I really like to know what's going on in town. And, and you really know, God, how I just, I just love it when I hear that juicy little bit of news about somebody else. And I'm not going to let that go. And we... We say, now wait a minute, that's not what you just said. You said you're going to re repent, turn around, and believe. But, well, except for lying, because, you know, a little bit of lying never hurt anybody, and they don't always need to know the truth, and we start self-justifying, right? And we'll condemn their sin, but we'll justify our sin. As Christians, we've got to leave the old. Isn't it interesting that Paul was talking to Christians, he wasn't talking to non-believers in these two places that I just read to you from Galatians and Colossians. He was talking to Christians, right? You've got to stop, stop gambling and throwing away your money. You've got to stop taking abuses towards your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's been working with me about how sugar and caffeine are not good for my body. And it's easy for somebody who's not dealing with nicotine addiction to condemn somebody with that why can't you put your cigarettes down but God may very well also be speaking to us who don't have maybe a nicotine or a drug addiction but instead we're addicted to food or we're addicted to sugar or caffeine if this is the temple of the Holy Spirit then we've believed God and we've turned away from those things we've got to start treating this as the temple of the Holy Spirit and taking care of it we've got to stop doing certain things we've got to stop being unkind. It's really shocked me at times when I was speaking to somebody, maybe in a kind of a general public area, maybe customer service, perhaps it was uh, just at a, a, a ball game, softball game, baseball game in Valonia or in a Indiana or Birmingham, and we're just talking and the things that might come out of their mouth. And then I find out later they're a Christian. And I thought, well, I wouldn't have guessed that they were a Christian based on the things that came out of their mouth. And then God stops me dead in my tracks and he says, has anybody ever thought that about you? The things that came out of your mouth one day and then the next day they find out you're a Christian and they say, how does that add up? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you've got to stop doing the things of the world. Got to stop doing the things that hurt you and eating the crackers that are laced with poison. All right.
Now let's get to the fun part, because I know we don't like the other part, right? Uh, We don't want to dwell forever on the old self, because the old is gone. It's dying, and and we've got a new life. So start doing these things. This is awesome, okay? 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee from the old youthful lusts, and instead pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. All right, so take out your pen or pencil so you can write this down um, on your sermon notes there. I'm going to give you, I don't know, like 10 things that we're supposed to all do all the time. And I can't give you all the scripture references because we'd be here for too long. But write these down as the way that the Christian is to live. First, start doing these things. Love and accept one another. In Romans 14, in Romans 15, in 1 Peter 1, in 1 John 4, all those scriptures say, love and accept one another. Accept one another as Christ accepted you. Right? Now, which one another's does it say to accept? Only the ones that look like us? Only the ones that vote like us? Only the ones that have the same interests as us? Or does it just say, love and accept one another? This is a hard one. It's very hard for us. In Alabama, there were some people who made some very poor choices. They went to jail, and then when they got out of jail, they were termed, for the rest of their life in America, sex offenders. Happened all over the U.S., we know that. There's a registry of them. You, You can look them up and find out where they live, and for the rest of their life, they have that label on them. It reminds you of when you were in seventh grade and remember when she had to wear the A all around town. Some of you remember what I'm talking about in that book. For the rest of their lives, well, they started going to a Bible study amongst themselves because they'd accepted Jesus. They'd repented. They'd turned away from their old self, their old behavior, and they started doing the things they were supposed to do, but they weren't welcome in church. So they started their own church so they could have a fellowship of Christian believers who would help them to walk the new life in Christ and leave the old behind. And a Christian in town found out they were meeting in their county and they would have none of it. And they started petitioning and going after them. This group should not exist in our county. This group needs to be disbanded and leave When Jesus says love and accept one another, he doesn't say love and accept only those whose sins that you can justify or get along with. He says love and accept. He doesn't say accept their sin because God doesn't accept our sin. He He doesn't pretend our sin isn't real. He just says love and accept them and love them and pray for them. So number two, pray for each other. In Philippians 1, 1 Timothy 2, Hebrews 13, and James 5, four different scriptures. Pray for each other. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for your enemy. Pray for your children. Pray for your parents. Pray for your spouse. Pray for everybody, right? Did I tell you guys about the Adopt-A-Terrorist website? It's a true website. And you can go adopt a terrorist and commit to praying for their salvation in Christ Jesus. I remember a time not long ago when we were praying for Saddam Hussein to be defeated and Osama bin Laden to be defeated, and I know many Christians who were praying for them to die. But I showed a video to Lily this week, 
And in that video, if you've ever seen The End of the Spear, story of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, the five missionaries who were speared to death when they tried to reach the Wadani tribe in Ecuador, before they went, then Nate Saint and his son Steve Saint were having a conversation, and Steve's eight years old, and he says to his dad, Dad, if they go after you with the spears, will you use your gun? And he said, no, I won't. He said, but why, Dad? You have to use your gun. He said, because I'm ready for heaven, and they're not. If they spear me, I'm going to heaven. If I shoot them, they're going to hell. And so, the point of that is that we pray for each other. Not pray for our enemies' uh, death. Pray for our enemies' salvation. Pray for our enemies' deliverance. Pray for our enemies' redemption. Because, think about this. The ex-Mexican mafia member that got saved in my grandfather's church later became a pastor who led people to Jesus, who lived a life free from the old self because someone loved and accepted someone who was dealing drugs, living an alternative lifestyle that was violent and vicious, and then they prayed for him and he got saved. He got delivered, and down in South America, in Cali, Colombia, we have Nazarene pastors who've come out of the Colombian drug cartels. They actually have hits on their head where they, the drug cartels want them dead because they're costing them in so much money because they're leading these people out of the drug business and into the kingdom of God business. Because they loved and accepted one another. Because they prayed for each other. Number three, start doing these things. Tell the truth to each other. Ephesians 4.25, Colossians 3.9, 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 3. All of these tell us to tell the truth to each other. Even when it hurts. Don't mask it. Don't cover it up. Don't sugarcoat it. Do it with grace. But don't tell lies. Number four, be kind to each other. Zechariah 7, Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Corinthians 13. Be kind to each other. <clears throat> Number five, serve one another. Number six, bring joy to each other. And we could unpack these for a long time, but these are all scriptures. Comfort each other. Forgive one another. Be generous with each other honor each other. I was reading this week of five individuals who lived their lives as uh, janitors, teachers, librarians, and when they died, they left millions of dollars. They lived very frugally. They lived just on what they needed. They saved the rest, and when they died, they left millions of dollars to be a blessing to other people. For us, we need to be generous with each other. Proverbs 22 tells us that. Acts chapter 2 tells us that. We need to honor each other. Finally, we'll close with this last point. Christianity without repentance is dead. James chapter 2 verses 14 through 17 says, What use is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? I could probably shock you pretty well. If we said, <clears throat> you know, Charles Manson 
God saved, but he made an agreement with God. God, I want you to forgive me of my sins, and I want you to make sure that I go to heaven, but I sure don't want to give up murdering. I think I'm going to keep doing it. You know, we're picking up our jaw off the floor. And yet, so often, Christians, we will justify something else, and there's no level of sin with God. Sin is sin. Sin hurts us. Sin is poison on the crackers. He's trying to deliver us. And we can't say to God, okay, God, forgive me, cleanse me, get me ready for heaven, but just don't take that particular one from me. Instead, Lord, take it all from me. I want to repent of everything that's unlike you. I'll give you two, <clears throat> two examples here. In his book, I Surrender, Patrick Morley writes that the church's integrity problem is in this misconception, this idea, that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. We can change our belief, but then we don't have to change our behavior. He goes on and he says, it's like trying to have revival without reformation or revival without repentance. It will never happen. specific example of this happened in South Africa. And this one Dutchman came and God laid his hand on the Dutchman and convicted him of his sin. And the very next morning he went to the beautiful home of another Dutchman and he said to him, do you recognize this watch? And he, he had this watch in his hand. He said, yeah, how did you get that? I've been missing that watch for eight years now. It was stolen. He said, I stole it. But last night, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I knew I had to make it right. He had a change of belief, and then he had a change of behavior. Because if we repent, we've got to start living like Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, you know that each of us has sinned. We know that we've all sinned. And God, for salvation, we want to ask for forgiveness of that sin. All that past sin, all of the guilt, all the shame, all the hurt that we've done to ourselves and to other people, God. We want that gone. But we don't want to just keep living with sin. We don't want to just keep living the old self. Lord, we want it, the past gone and we want the present, God, that we would walk in in your ways, that we would walk in a way that pleases you, empowered by your Spirit, for your glory and honor. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. There's not one of us who hasn't sinned, and I pray that every one of us would ask you to forgive us of that. Lord, there's not one of us that doesn't need a Savior, and I pray every single one of us would pray that simple sinner's prayer, forgive me, Jesus, come into my heart, let me live for you and be a follower of you forever. But Lord, I know there's not a one of us that doesn't deal with temptation. And I pray that you would continue to empower us, Lord, in our new walk with you to stop doing the things that we need to stop doing and start doing the things you've called us to do, that we would run from temptation and that we would run to your righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the glorious good news of your word that you are able to set us free and make us new in Christ. 
Help us, Lord, now as we fellowship together that we would remember these things, that we would practice being kind and patient, hospitable and generous to each other, that, Lord, we would just continue to give thanks and praise to you and that we would live this life of love out loud. Jesus, I pray you'd bless the food that we're about to partake and the hands that have prepared it. Thank you again, Lord, for this fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.